today, today let's uh, have a little chat. You want to? If I can actually speak, that is kind of the requirement. I have to be able to speak. But we should. Let's have a tiny chat and see uh, what we come up with. Hey, everybody. Pre-accident investigation podcast. It's Todd. How are you? I'm glad you're here. How's it going? Man, this last week was crazy. Lots of travel for me. Saw tons of friends, people I hadn't seen in a long time, because I was given a couple spe- little talks. So I was with our buddies, um, the big safety meeting for the steelworkers in Pittsburgh, which was fun, but it was cold. And then I was at IADC. And if you don't know what that is, look it up. There you go. And uh, that was in Houston, and I saw lots of friends. And it was great. We had a good time. Travel is, you know, travel. I'd complain, but many of you are in the same boat. And some of you who aren't in the same boat, just be, you're, you're winning this game. We're losing, you're winning. But other than that, it's fine. And it's kind of, it's getting sort of almost spring-like in New Mexico. It's not quite there yet, because it's, it was, uh, 31 degrees this morning. Was that right? No, I think it was 20. It felt like 27, I think is what it told me. But it was, it was plenty cold this morning. But as soon as the sun comes out, everything gets warm. And, you know, I did take my little bicycle for a burrito run. And uh, that was certainly worthwhile. Because at the midpoint of that ride, they hand you a burrito. A breakfast burrito, if you if you will. And uh, then you get to ride back and eat it and do a bunch of work and talk to people on the phone, which is, you know, super fun. So that's my excitement. Everything else is pretty much back to normal. I've got uh, all the bikes replaced, so that's good. So I now have too many bikes. But I went from too many bikes to no bikes to now back to too many bikes. But it's good. And uh, it's been very interesting. With my Sondor's, what's that thing called? Easy Step? Quick step, easy step, step through. I don't know what it's called. That's a great bike. If you ever want to look that up, Saunders Easy Step, I think it's what it's called. It's, you can step through it. That The geometry on that bike is great, and I bought one on the reclaimed shelf because it was a lot cheaper, a lot cheaper, like way cheaper. But the back wheel, the, the motor was not working. But you know what they did? I called them, and they sent me a brand new one. So... Easy peasy, and it, that's always nice when you when you get good customer service. It really stands out, and it's it makes it kind of worthwhile. So that part was cool. Other than that, you know, things are just kind of humming along and making things happen. It's going to be an interesting discussion today, that's for sure, because I've got something I want to cover with you that I think is relatively important, um, and it keeps coming up. So we must need to talk about it because if it keeps coming up, then that means it's important to talk about. So let's talk about it. So I'm at this meeting, and and to be fair, I get this question kind of a lot. But the this meeting I was at last week, they did some open questions, which is always fun. I mean, I think that's fun because you never know what you're going to get. And I always try to make people say first-time caller, long-time listener. Because I think that's funny when they stand at the little microphone. So, you know, some of it's for me. But I, I kind of like the idea that they can ask anything. It's always kind of a bet they're going to ask about 
metrics, and they're going to ask about discipline and accountability. Those are kind of guaranteed questions. But I got one this time that I've been getting a lot lately, and it's um, we need a definition for what a SIF event is. And SIF stands for significant injury fatality. So, and, and, and clearly SIF has become kind of the code that's being used internationally everywhere. People talk about SIFs and near SIFs and they have SIF prevention programs. And I mean, they, they got all sorts of stuff going on there, but this question is, is kind of a reasonable question. I mean, I, the, it's, it sort of holds true to the adage that there's no such thing as a dumb question because this isn't a dumb question. You would think it'd be easy to determine what a, a significant injury fatality event is because that would be an event where there'd be a significant injury or fatality. Boom, done, out the door, got it finished. The problem is, is it doesn't really work that way. And, and there's some things we should talk about, and that becomes sort of an interesting conversation, which is why I think I moved things around so we could have this conversation. Because I will tell you, before we go one inch further into this dog walk or bicycle ride, or running on the treadmill, or riding in your vehicle, or whatever it is you're doing. Before we go one inch further, I will tell you that I think the thing we should be most fixated upon by a mile is this idea of fatality. And we know some things for sure, and I've said them to you a million times. I'll say it again because it's worth saying. We've learned over time, and actually through quite a bit of research, that the things that hurt workers are not the same things that kill workers. So that shouldn't be very earth-shattering, but it is. It's incredibly earth-shattering. And the reason it's so earth-shattering has to do with the Heinrich model and the pyramid and the belief that somehow we can make these kind of injuries predictable. Now, that's going to come up again. The idea that we can put predictability around significant events is really important and really attractive and almost, if I dare use the word, seductive. And so it draws us in, and because it's difficult to predict the future and because there's not a really good supply available of predictive tools for fatalities, an artificial supply arises and people just make stuff up. And that's kind of how it works. I mean, I don't mean that to be offensive or to send offensive messages to my peers around the globe. It's not like that. I, I think their intent is right. They want to do the right thing for sure, but it's it's really hard to predict the future. I mean, we're just we're not good at predicting the future. And because we're not good at predicting the future, that's where the safety pyramid came in. Because I don't know if you've thought about it, over about a half a second. But the seductive part of the safety pyramid is it makes an uncertain world certain because it tells you in no uncertain terms that if you manage the low-level injuries, you will automatically, by design, reduce the number of significant events you have. And it kind of makes sense when you look at the pyramid. I mean, it just it seems really logical. And couple that with the fact that we've been showing you this pyramid for, you know, 50, 60 years. And a lot of people truly believe it must be true because it's got, well, why wouldn't it be true? It's got to be true. 
And so that belief that somehow if we just manage low-level injuries and therefore if we measure low-level injuries, ankle sprains and hurt elbows and stuff like that, that we're automatically going to manage the big injuries. And here's what we know. And the data is pretty clear and it's available and you can get it. And that is, that's just not true. It's just not true. And that, and it's partially defended by the fact that companies with really good industrial safety numbers, really low level of days away number, really low level of reportable incident numbers, really low level numbers still have catastrophic failure. They still kill people. And, and so if they're still killing people, then one must ask, does that management of the low-level events actually do what it claims to do, which is reduce the number of high-level events? And for a while, we did all this crazy stuff like we tried to squeeze the pyramid down so it looked more like a, like a little skinny pyramid, not a big fat pyramid. And we said, you know, there's a predictability line in the middle here that we can follow. Mm, that's probably not true either because it's all based upon this idea that somehow there's a, this linear relationship between frequency and severity. Does that make sense to you guys? That, that somehow there's an arithmetic linear relationship, so, sort of the rules of physics, between the frequency, the number of events you have, and the severity of events you have. And the theory is, is if you keep the numbers low, the severity is low. But here's what we know. That's not true. In fact, most people who die or who are significantly injured go from zero injuries to dead. They didn't have like nine sprained ankles and four broken arms and three broken necks and then died. They went from no injuries, zero zip, zilch, no injuries to dead guy in one fell swoop because of two train cars or a dropped load or, or falling down an elevator shaft or what other parade of horribles you could put into that. And there's a, 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 it's virtually an infinite number of ways to kill people, which takes me to part two. And part two, I think, is the part we can talk about because we've got some knowledge on this and we can show them that almost any event can be a SIF event if the controls fail. So any event will kill you if there's no control between the worker and the energy. So one of the things that kills a lot of people, at least in my experience, kind of probably because of the work I did for my whole career, are stairwells. Stairwells are pretty dangerous because if you fall down them, they're pretty significant. And if you hit your head just right or hit your neck just right, it can kill you, right? And, and so... That isn't necessarily a super unusual amount of risk because it's a stairwell. It's kind of seen normal. In fact, the stairwells are crazy because they sort of fit into this category of not really a task, but something you do in order to get to the task to do the task. And so we don't even really look at those as a giant threat. I mean, they, they are kind of. And, and we do things, you know, we have handrail rules. And I mean, we, we've really thought about this, but it, it's 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 a big pickle that we've got people in. And, and that's part of what this journey sort of represents is that, that I'm not sure we can define what a SIF is in a final, no doubt, best case definition, because I'm not sure it exists. 
And the reason that's a problem and the reason people ask, we need a good definition. The industry is trying to create a definition. Our industry is going to write a definition for it. And I get all that. That makes tons of sense. The reason they're asking for that is because of uncertainty. What they want to do is ensure the absence of uncertainty. So when you hear people say, we need a good definition for SIF, or we need a really good definition for what safety is, I mean, we can have the same conversation around safety. What they're really saying is, I want to be able to describe the future so that then I can therefore predict the future. And the problem with fatalities is they're sort of beyond the ability to predict. Now, I've said this before. I have whole books that say this. I mean, I've a couple books that say this. Fatalities aren't a failure to prevent the accident. So people don't die because we failed to prevent the fatality accident. Fatalities are a failure of control. So people die because when the unexpected thing happens, we had zero recoverability built into the system. There was really nothing to stop the energy from causing significant catastrophic failure immediately. And so what we know is, is that we don't necessarily manage SIF events based upon prevention strategies. Although that said, if you're hanging with me, this is kind of a confusing one. We need to do everything we can to prevent them. I mean, it's prevention's vital. We, we have to do the preventive work. The, the challenge is, is that prevention's necessary, but it's not sufficient. And so because there's no sufficiency in prevention alone, we have to build recoverability into the system. So the example I use all the time, the one you're thinking of in your head, so let's just say it out loud, is fall protection. So fall protection is really an interesting example because everyone will kind of get it immediately. Why do we put people in fall protection? Why, why do we make them wear harnesses and lanyards and clip off? Okay, why? Well, fall protection doesn't really concern itself with the fall. In fact, fall protection assumes every worker will eventually fall. 100% chance that every worker will eventually fall. 100%. What fall protection does is manage the sufficiency part. It says when that worker falls, we're going to really control the recoverability of that fall. Right? So... We put people in fall protection as a prevention strategy. We put scaffolding up and handrails and lanyards and harnesses. Those are all prevention strategies. They help prevent people from falling. I mean, guardrails, railing around roofs. I mean, we have pretty good, pretty robust strategic prevention strategies for falls. We put that up, but that's not where we stop. We assume then, even with the prevention strategies, that the worker's going to fall, and when they fall, we've also put in recoverability. And it's that relationship between resilience and robustness, or maybe I should have said it the other way, robustness and resilience. Robust is prevention. We have a robust system that prevents accidents from happening. And then we have a resilient system that when the accident happens, because not every accident is preventable, or maybe every accident is preventable, but we won't prevent every accident, when that thing happens, we have recoverability built into the system, which is why motorcycles have 
uh, an emergency fuel supply, right? You've got recoverability built into the system. Now, that idea becomes a big part of how we think about and really manage this SIF. But we're not going to have a definition. And so then even things like a, a near miss to a SIF or a pre-SIF, that's what they call them sometimes, PSIFs, that's a really interesting idea from the robust side of the equation. But I would actually suggest what accident isn't a precursor to a fatality if the controls aren't in place. And so I've thought about this a bunch. I don't know if you have, but I've thought about, well, what do we do with this, right? Because people really want a clean definition of what a fatality accident is. They don't want a definition in retrospect because that's easy. You can say this accident on the third of whenever, when this person did that and this happened, you know, that was a fatality. They're really easy to describe in retrospect. What they want is a predictive definition that actually reduces uncertainty. So what it does is it certainly tells you what to look for, but even more importantly, it tells you what you don't have to look for. And so that's why people want the definition so badly. I mean, they just, they did, we got to have it. We got to have it. And yet I would suggest that maybe that's not the way to look at it at all. That maybe what we should be doing when we think about this idea of identifying SIFs, significant injury and fatalities, is that we don't look for the presence of the activity. We look for the absence of the control. So one of the places you can say this is going to be a place where somebody could die is when you have a lot of work happening but not a lot of recoverability. So if nothing has recoverability, you know it's going to fail. I mean, the example I'd use, just because I'm thinking about it, um, not that I'm just fixated on this idea, but if you only have one key to your vehicle, I don't care if it's a car, a truck, a snow machine, a jet ski, or an, a, a bicycle. If you only have one key to that vehicle, it's inevitable that that system's fragile because you will lose that key. You don't know when, you don't know why, you don't even really know how, but you'll lose that key. Somebody, some certain percentage of the population will lose that key. You'll lose it. And then when you lose it, you don't have any recoverability. It's catastrophic because now you've got to rekey the lock or drill out the lock or spend a bazillion dollars on locksmiths to fix the lock. That's the idea of that notion of recoverability. And I guess I share this with you guys because I'm curious what you think. I, I'm not sure I have the answers, but I never really think I have the answers. That's not the problem I have. What I think I have are questions. And then what I think we collectively, you and I bring to the table, is our experience and what we know. And what we know is, is that if there was a really clean definition for a fatality, we'd have it. It'd already be out there. I mean, we'd be talking about, here's a definition for fatality that most of us use, blah, 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 right? But it's not out there. And the reason it's not out there is because it's uncertain. And I get it. I totally get it. 
when it's uncertain, we want to drive that ambiguity out of the system. We want to reduce uncertainty. And one of the ways we can reduce the uncertainty is by creating the definitions because definitions provide those parameters of what we need to pay attention to and, more importantly, what we don't need to pay attention to. But it's just not there. And it's not there, and it's bugging the crap out of us. And so you get the question all the time. Well, what is a good definition for a SIF? And I think the answer is there are many definitions for a SIF. All of them probably are good. I don't even know any bad ones. The challenge is, is not defining the SIF, but actually determining the necessity and sufficiency of the controls. And so it puts us into a really interesting place where what we need to monitor is not necessarily the presence of risk. What we need to monitor is the absence of control. And if we can find high-risk critical operations, and that's critical to safety, critical to quality, critical to production, critical to operations, critical to environment. I mean, you guys manage a ton of criticality stuff. If you find high-risk critical operations that do not have enough control, sometimes don't have any control, then what you found is a, is an, is a part of the system where we only have one key. And we're going to lose the key. At some point, we're going to lose that key. So we better get another key. And we better put the second key where we put second keys, the safe key storage area, so that when we lose the first key, because inevitably it's going to happen, we know where that second key is. And in a matter of seconds, we can locate the second key and replace it and keep operations moving. That's really more of the idea of managing capacity than it is managing risk. But it means we've got to let go of the need to reduce uncertainty. We've got to let go of the pyramid, which is hard because people don't want to let go of the pyramid because in their brain they're like, God, if I just manage all the low-level crap, then of course the big stuff's going to go away. But that's based upon that premise that there's a connection between frequency and severity, but more importantly, it's based upon that premise that the things that hurt people are also the things thing, the same things that kill people. And that's just not true. The things that hurt people are not the things that kill people. And we know that. I don't even have to sell you on that idea. It's true. So where's this put us? What do we do with this information, right? Because we've got to do something with this information. You can't just have it. Well, I think a lot of people are doing stuff. And so, first of all, there is hope. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And what people are doing really quite diligently around the globe is trying to reframe this idea and focus specifically on how they can provide recoverability into the safety program. Because the way you reduce the number of people you kill or seriously injure is by increasing the amount of recoverability you have when the system fails. That seems to be a, a, a remarkably important thing to think about. And the reason it's remarkably important, it's not because it's hard to do. I, I, I'm pretty convinced it's not that hard to do this, but it's a very, very different way to look at it. 
Traditionally, we've just wanted to reduce the things that kill people, and we should. I'm not arguing with you at all. The problem is is we don't know all those things because there's an infinite number of ways to die, infinite number of ways to have a significant injury. There's an infinite number of ways to fail. What we want to do is actually build in the resilience part of this equation and systems that are more reliable are not more reliable because they have fewer failures. They're more reliable because they have higher recoverability. Now that is a really important piece of information. And in essence, if you ask me, that's kind of what I have come around to believing is the important message in SIFs and fatalities. And that is the key message that I think about when I think about this problem. And I think about this problem a lot. So what do you think? I really am sort of fixated on this, I guess. I think about this a lot. This is probably the reason I still get on planes. And I'm sure it's the reason I, I, I give talks and work with organizations. Because if I can sort of stay true to this and get this message out as loudly and as clearly as I can, I, I think I'm doing good work as best I can for the right reasons. And so that's kind of what I think about. I love the question. Help us define. We need the best definition for, for SIF. What we do, the problem is, is I don't think it's there. What we need to do is actually build in that resilient side of the equation so that when bad things happen, we can recover. That seems to be the important message that keeps coming back again and again and again. And so that's the one I think about. And that's the one that we all should probably be thinking about because that's the one I think that's going to take us to where it takes us. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, talk to me because I'm curious to see if any of this makes any sense at all. Uh, I always am worried because, you know, it's a lot to talk about in a short amount of time. But I get to spend it with you, so that's a plus. I mean, I always have a good time. Thanks for listening to the pod. Tell your friends. There's lots of people out there that are listening, so that's good. Um, be cool. Be not, be kind to each other. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Check in on one another. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe. Good goes around and around and around. Good goes around and around. Boom.